Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Shedcast. You're with Brian O'Sullivan, and I'm on the podcast that is the official podcast of Shedinburgh Fringe Festival. It's brought to you by Putting It Together. Now, if you'd like to hear more episodes of this, you can go to shedinburgh.com or wherever you normally get your podcast, you can just search Putting It Together. Um, we've got all the Shedcasts collected there. Uh, we've got about a dozen now. And uh, prior to that, you've got normal episodes of Putting It Together, which has been running since November 2017, a weekly episode um, of an interview with an actor, writer, musician, director, designer, someone in the arts, uh, long form interviews where we get right into it. And there's some fascinating names there. So go to wherever you get your podcast and check out Putting It Together. So welcome along. How are you? We're on to Sunday the 30th of August. So we're heading into the last week of the Shedinburgh Fringe. Um, last night we were treated to Chloe Pett's stand-up slash talk show, uh, Living Rent Free in Your Shed, uh, on which she auditioned to be the new Ellen, essentially. Uh, it was great to chat to her. We talked about Ellen, about the controversy surrounding Ellen and um, Ellen's place in, in culture. You know, not just as a TV host, but for what Ellen represents to the queer community and in general um, as a representative of the queer community. Um, So Chloe's interested in taking on that role now. And her show last night was somewhat an addition for that. She started with about half an hour of stand-up, which was tremendous. Um, And then she had a a guest, so she would practice her interviewing skills. So I I really had a nice time talking to her. And um, it's nice to talk about kind of the ins and outs of, of comedy and how it works um, and especially to get a wee insight into how a, a new, a younger comedian uh, makes their way in, in Edinburgh and the Fringe. Um, she talked about how she's been there for the last four years and the progression of bringing gradually bigger and bigger shows or more and more material to the Fringe each year. In fact, in this case, this year uh, was going to be her first solo hour, which she had been road testing, but she hadn't, uh, you know, obviously it didn't make it to Edinburgh. So it's it's sad in a way. Um, but we're honoured to have her um, do this hour, which is a unique hour. Um, which uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the hour she was bringing. It was just a, a new thing, all for us, just for the shed. And as you know, it was on last night, and it wasn't um, downloadable. It wasn't rewindable, pausable. So if you saw it last night, great. And if you didn't, that means you've missed out, and you need to book tickets for other shows. So go to shedinburgh.com and uh, look for the acts that you want to see and just click tickets. It's dead easy and it's cheap as chips. It's only £4 starting price for a ticket. That's amazing. And it all goes to a good cause to celebrate, uh, to celebrate, no, to support new artists coming to the Fringe next year. As you know, it can be cost prohibitive, really difficult to do. So what we're doing with these performances and we're raising money to help a new generation of artists make it to the Fringe when we have the Fringe again. So I'm sure you'll agree that's a good cause. Now, if you'd like to support this podcast, which I do for free and want to make part of my income, you can just go to puttingittogethercast.com and click the yellow donate button and uh, you'll take yourself through the prompts there with PayPal. It's dead simple. Some people give a few pounds a month. Some people give a one-off larger donation. It's all appreciated. And at this point, thank you very much to the people who are already patrons of the show. It makes a massive difference. I've upgraded a lot of stuff in the studio. It allowed me to take the trip to actually cover the Shedinburgh Fringe, which I did uh, when the shed was at the Traverse, um, which I wouldn't otherwise have, have been able to do really. So it's made a, a great difference and uh, long may that continue. Remember, it's puttingittogethercast.com and click the yellow donate button. 
So, I'm about to bring you the conversation we had with Chloe Petz last night, just before she went on stage, and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. And uh, after this, I'm going to give you a wee bit of information about what's coming up at the Sheddenborough Fringe. So, here we are. It's me and Chloe Petz, and we are putting it together. So um, I ha- the first thing I have to address is the thing in the copy that says that you're the next Ellen or you should be the next Ellen. Tell me a bit about that. Well, obviously over lockdown, we found out that Ellen wasn't as nice as we thought she was. I always thought she was a bit mean. I, th- I think you can see that there was a bit of meanness behind her well, eyes. Did you get that sense already? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I strongly disliked her. Okay. Um I had nothing to quantify it. It was just a vibe that I got. Sometimes that's all you need, mate. Do you? Like, I feel like that that's a bit of sort of like, um, in terms of getting people cancelled, it's a bit like McCarthyism, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, I'm not I don't like cancelled, But like, often I've found out that someone was a bit of a dick to someone else and I'm like, I kind of always had a funny feeling about that person. Do you know what I mean? I don't mean I would cancel them. <laughs> but like, <laughs> well, I that's kind of knew. We have that power now. But, I, you know, you are so right. Like, you can just get an energy off people sometimes, can't you? Definitely. So you felt that you knew that about Ellen before? I, I did feel like I, that I knew that about Ellen. Let's say I wasn't surprised yeah. when it came out that she wasn't very good to her backstage people. Mm-hmm. But then what I've basically thought is she is our queer overlord. There is now a power vacuum in the queer community that needs to be filled. And I would like to take the place of Ellen as both chat show host and sort of like her cultural status. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my show is basically like an audition to be the new Ellen. That's, well, it's a good place to start, I feel. Strong. What, in a shed? Well, no, just with, with such a clear idea of what you're trying to do, regardless of whether you're in a shed or not. It's a really clear, um, what's the word, ambition, I suppose. Well, the funny thing is, is that when they these guys approach me like, do you want to do something in the shed? I was kind of thinking, should I just do some normal stand-up? Mm-hmm. But then isn't that just going to be a bit strange? Someone stood in a shed just doing their normal show. So I wanted there to be sort of a reason for me to be in the shed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that reason could be that I'm turning sort of this man cave into my audition. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's tenuous. It's, te- it's very tenuous. I'll admit that. That's all right. I mean, I don't think the shed is like too specific to a lot of people's work. I think it's just where it happens, you know. So it's just cool to find you there. So do you normally do a lot of stand-up work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so stand-up is sort of my, is my primary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that's been quite difficult over lockdown because when we sort of started to realize that lockdown was something that was going to happen. There was a week where each day, like more and more work would be dropping out of your diary and it felt quite sort of apocalyptic. Oh yeah. Um, And it was very, very disappointing. Um, So yeah, it's just been crazy. Like having no performance and every little bit of performance I do now that we're sort of easing back into, it, I get such a rush off it because, because you haven't had that feeling for so long. Oh yeah, totally. It's heightened, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So what's your kind of experience at the Fringe then? Do you normally do, do you bring like a new hour every year, every couple of years? So I've been doing stand-up for about five years and I've been to the Fringe every year um, during that period. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started off with like a triple hander. So I just did 20 minutes with two other comics. Yeah. Then I did like a mixed bill the year after that. 
um oh so four years i've been been going to the fringe sorry mm. um after the mixed bill i did the pleasance reserve the last year i did a split hour with my friend sam and then this year i was going to do my hour-long debut oh right so it, it kind of felt like the four years prior to this were like it's a bit like marathon training sort of building up yeah. year on year until you do your big main hour and sort of announce yourself as a stand-up and artist mm-hmm. on on the big sit on the big scene so have you done the hour at all then so I was I was doing work in progresses of the hour yeah. right up until lockdown. So wow. I started writing the show last September, um, and then I just kind of I've put it down since and not really picked it back up. Mm-hmm. And and I guess we're not really sure what state the Edinburgh Fringe is going to be in next year. So I think again, what will happen is September I'll pick the show up again, and it will probably turn into something very different because I think we're all we're all hugely changed by what's happened over the last six months. Of course, how could you not? acknowledge that in any work going forward exactly and it, it it's not even like acknowledging it in like a very like straightforward way of like coronavirus guys what about that it's, <laughs> yeah, more, yeah, yeah. it's more like an existential thing like i feel like such a different i have such a different attitude to the world and sort of my part in it now that mm. i would feel like i was lying if i just went back to you know yeah, of doing course, the jokes yeah. i was doing before yeah, it doesn't have to be like, save, what, what's the deal with coronavirus? <laughs> hey guys, did you hear about this pandemic? <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be plenty of stand-up based on that, so no worries there. What were you like as a kid? Were you a funny kid? Um, yeah, I think I was. Um, I remember being quite an anxious child, mm. and I was quite like a, I was a real lone wolf. And I remember at, at primary school, there would be like the boys in the classroom, the girls in the classroom. And I would kind of hang around with the boys and play football with them at lunchtime. But I was never really part of their group and I was never point of, part of the girls' group. Yeah. So I was kind of like in this liminal space in between. Yeah. But I really enjoyed occupying that space because, I don't know, I, this is probably a bit wanky and a bit like overanalyzing it, but perhaps like I felt I could be like a bit of a jester or a bit of a like the one on the outside doing the social commentary kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I get that, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I developed humour to sort of um, feel a part of something when I didn't necessarily feel a part of either of the the, the kind of two tribes. Yeah, but yeah. that never bothered me. Like it doesn't feel like a tragic story to recount. <laughs> sure, sure. And is that still somewhat the case? Like, are you still quite a bit of a loner and stuff? I'm like, I'm not a loner, and I love being around people and around my friends. But I do need lots of time spent alone to kind of recover from the yeah. exertions of social energy. Mm, for sure. And do you write yeah. alone or is, do you work out material on stage mostly? I will write alone in terms of I'll kind of bullet point. My writing process is basically I'll write out the idea that I have for a set in full. Mm-hmm. Then what I'll do is I'll bullet point that set and I'll take those notes to me, notes with me on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a new material night and then I'll kind of semi use that as a script semi improvise just to give like a bit more of a conversational tone and just kind of work out what the funny bit is on stage yeah for sure and then I suppose like tonight is of course tonight is unique you've been in the shed and stuff how much is that you're just going to see what happens yeah definitely because like and that's why I guess the difficult thing about this show is because I've written something new like I would usually before I work up a bit 
to it become slick and kind of ready. It takes me like 10 times. Yeah, of course, yeah. So it will be quite shambolic, the the shed, because... <laughs> I like the sound of this already. <laughs> honestly, like, it will just be me sort of going like, oh, what was I going to say next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think, like, sometimes, like, I really like drawing the audience's attention to sort of my thinking process of why I've behaved in such a way. Because mm-hmm. I think it can be fi- quite funny to just be like, oh, guys, I just completely forgot there, um, you know? Yeah, so it's a live event and people there's no pretense that it's not kind of thing yeah yeah and i I guess this is why i found the shed quite difficult in doing it to cameras as well is because when i do my stand-up i see it more as a as a conversation rather than me lecturing yeah um because i love like the responsiveness of the room and i love drawing attention to if someone's like made a weird noise or like accidentally snorted or yeah drop something that's what makes it separate from just yeah monologuing of course, yeah. I mean, it's a different thing, isn't it? And what kind of... Um, who are the comics that you've looked up to as you've been building up to this? Um, my, the comics that I love, I love Lou Sanders. Yeah. Um, she's just, like... She's just mental. <laughs> and I think that's probably... I've never really thought about it in this way, actually, but she's very, like, go onto stage and see what happens and, like, um, be really, like present and just go with whatever her whims and fancies are mm-hmm. and she's just got like such a funny turn of phrase as well um and like is really idiosyncratic in her her viewpoint and the way she way she says things yeah that's that's what attracts me often to comment i mean that's why i love daniel kitson for example at least one of the yeah. reasons is that the strange turn of phrase you think i'm, I'm visiting the mind of, a, of an unusual person here <laughs> I enjoy that's that. That's such a good analysis of, of Daniel Kitson. <laughs> I wish we could see more of him, but I suppose he's kind of, he's a rare thing, isn't he? He's made himself rare. Um, Sorry to like reference another podcast on your podcast, but have you been listening to Kim Noble's podcast? No, I haven't. I think you'd love it. Oh, great. Um, So he's just like, he's essentially going around doing pranks and turns it into quite high, high audio art. Oh, great. Um, and yeah, he's just a very strange man, and um, I think I think if you if you like Daniel Kitson, you'll really enjoy that podcast. Oh, this is great! Like I said to you before we started, I wanted to get your your podcast recommendations. I'm always looking for new ones. Are you a big big po- podcast listener? Yeah, I listen to a lot of American comics. Okay, you know, I'm not mad on Joe Rogan, but but some of the stuff that's kind of spun out from that, mm-hmm. you know, that nucleus, I like that stuff. Just like people giving each other a hard time and talking rubbish, basically. It- I I think um one of my favorite podcasts is Why is Harriet Crying with right. Harriet Kemsley and Sunil Patel. Yeah. And um they I went I went on it and I described it as um argument made into art. Right. They they yeah. just they, they just bicker and it's just so amusing. Um so that would be one of my re- recommendations. I'm literally writing these down right now. Why is Harriet Crying and Kim Noble are like two opposite ends of the spectrum in that Kim Nobles is really, really, like, well-produced and slick. Right. Whereas Harriet and Snell just started recording it on them- themselves. So the first, like, few episodes, you're like, if if I go for a loud bit of the tube, I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, um, that's that turns me off because, like I've I told you about, I'm a bit obsessive about sound. If it's not quite what, right, I just switch it off. Well, maybe you this wouldn't be the podcast for you then yes. because basically they then realised that they were too quiet. So there's a period in their oeuvre where they've then gone 
the other way and it's very shrill <laughs> and then <laughs> and then they got an amazing chap in called elliot uh fallows and he's just sorted them right out you you need someone like that someone who really knows don't you yeah just how to make it sound yeah. moderately good definitely it doesn't even have to be professional <laughs> no just listenable is good so you've <laughs> yeah, got a exactly. guest on your show tonight as well yeah yeah one of my amazing friends jody mitchell who is also a comedian and a drag king performer all mm-hmm. oh, right uh so they um are just amazing and i i essentially um asked them to come on because when i was told that i had an hour to fill i was like well i'm not doing i'm not coming back for the first time and doing an hour of stand-up in a shed to a camera in a shed. come on i'm not doing an hour of stand-up in a shed to a camera oh come on so i uh i was just like oh jd we'll just have a chat for half an hour great great and it's uh, but it but it kind of works because because i'm auditioning to be ellen mm-hmm. i can say this is my part of this is my my testing myself to see whether i can conduct a good interview of course yeah i mean what do you make of those big chat shows other than the controversy surrounding ellen there's such a big thing in america and they're coming more and more in the uk right i mean what, what's your kind of take on them i think they're brilliant you like them? um yeah 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 i think they're great as just kind of popcorn entertainment yeah yeah like i love graham norton i like all that sort of bright colors and flashiness sometimes i just take a notion for that yeah absolutely and i th- i think it's really easy watching and you you know that you're not necessarily completely getting to know the celebrities as people because they're coming on with their sort of pre-prepared anecdotes and stuff of course yeah but if you're willing to suspend your disbelief and just enjoy it for what it is yeah. they're fantastic have you done chat shows panel shows things like that um not chat shows i've done a panel show on the telly and um some sort of run throughs for um for other chat shows yeah all oh, right okay i'm always fascinated by those panel shows that idea of kind of like sort of being prepared but sort of riffing that terrifies me does that what you have to do yeah so so i did one um with quite a few celebrities so i was very intimidated by that yeah and i i guess like it's kind of almost like starting stand up again because when you start stand up you obviously don't know what the heck you're doing and then you do it for years and years and years and it just becomes like a muscle. And, of course, yeah. And obviously they'll like there there will still be times where I, I'm still five years is still relatively new in the, the context of stand up mm-hmm. and that muscle won't necessarily work for you. But when you go on to panel shows, like my mind was working at a mile a minute essentially, because it is that thing of trying to balance getting your pre written gags in. Yep. With being really present and alive in the room and responsive to what other people are saying. Yeah, of course, yeah. And I think what's amazing is this thing that I was on, um, the comedians that were on was Tom Allen and John Richardson. Right. And they, they're obviously like pros. They've been doing it for years and years and years. And they just make it look so effortless. <laughs> yeah. And everything they say, again, it's it's lo- it's that thing of, of what we said of they've got such a clear viewpoint and they know what, what their sort of comedic persona and character would say in response to something. And it's it's like watching Masters at work. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah, and you're right. I mean, it's obviously, it's one of those skills where if you can see it happening, then it's kind of failed. You want it to be invisible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To just Whereas magically you could, happen. If you looked hard, hard enough at me on that recording, you'd probably see like, the cogs in my brain really worrying. <laughs> the sweat <laughs> trickling down your temple. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what as well? The thing is, I didn't realise because some of these records can go on for like three hours. Yeah. 
And when it gets to about an hour and 45, you can feel yourself and all the panellists just kind of going, oh, I'm so tired now. Mm. And you have to really stick with it. And then like in, in half an hour time, you get your energy back. Cause you're like, right, we're in the final straight now. But yeah. it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. Yeah, that's a long time to kind of, as you say, be present and also try and really, you know, be on top of what's being said and try and be original. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're, if you really did get the job, if you were the new Ellen in, in the <laughs> UK, what would that show look like? Because I suspect it would be a little less mainstream than what Ellen does. Well, yeah, because I don't have the sort of uh, profile. <laughs> yeah, Ellen. but just let's say that you had, you know, enough profile to actually get you the gig. Let's imagine, right? Yeah. What kind of, what would the show look like? What would be in it, do you think? I think it would be very queer and very weird. <laughs> yeah. Queered. Queer. Oh, that is delightful. No, there you My go. show would be quit. You may have that. <laughs> Thank you so much. I will be using that. I just uh, bashed my head against a microphone in pure glee. Ah, oh, love um, that. Yeah, I think I think I probably have like it will kind of have that chat show vibe, and I probably have like the DJ that I could bounce off and stuff. But they definitely yeah. be like super rad, super queer. And then I think I would definitely have like spaces for up and coming stand ups to come on and do a bit and like weird sketches mm-hmm. and l- stupid little songs and stuff like that <laughs> sounds um, great and just making celebrities do like odd stuff I think it sounds like kind of how a lot of these things started out the ethos of how they started out before they got really big you know like little sketches fun songs spots for up-and-comers you know that was all there in the back in the back in the day more sort of experimental yeah 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 but that's what happens things get swallowed up by the machine don't they yeah yeah and i guess i guess like there's space for it and and you do want that saturday night prime time spot it would just be nice if there were there was space on the television for like weirder stuff with that format yeah for sure do you think that i mean i suppose now we've got there is a bit more space isn't there for people for content that pleases different groups of people do you think that you know the queer community is getting properly getting a crack at the whip getting properly represented on telly yeah i think so i think there's always a a long way to go and i guess i guess like i i'm just conscious i'm just trying to think that i'm not being a bit white privilege about this and thinking maybe like rich white straight gays are getting represented but yeah no like pose and stuff is amazing so I guess you've got like it, there is a good blend of like Netflix stuff, Amazon stuff yeah. is representing queer stories in quite a diverse way. But also like I feel like the way that TV production companies and the BBC and Channel Four and stuff are doing more short form online content. Yeah, I think that that allows space for like lots of different people, as you say, to get like a quite a niche cult following. And YouTube is also an amazing thing for that. It's never been my medium or my vibe, but it's so sick, particularly when I talk to some of like my friends that are slightly younger than me that are real YouTube generationers. Like it's amazing mm. that they can find exactly what they want and the content that they want somewhere online. It will be there for them. Yeah, you. I, I think I identify with you when you say that another generation is the youtube generation because i don't feel like it's me although i remember when it first kind of popped yeah but i wouldn't know how to where to begin in terms of really being involved in youtube do you know what i mean i just i'm very much on the fringes yeah i mean this is the thing as well like so i made a 20 20 year old friend and um yeah just him being like oh i'm going to i'm going to see a live 
talk of this person. I'm like, who the hell is that? And he's like, oh, just this this famous YouTuber. And I'm like, YouTubers are famous? How the heck did that happen? Yeah, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess we, 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 I don't know how old you were, but I guess we were probably the generation that was like, oh, let's watch this video of a sneezing panda. Yes, 100%. Whereas they are now like... Um, they finessed the the medium and form and uh, and now how to make money and celebrity out of it exactly it's a whole ecology that i have nothing nothing to do with at this point yeah but and fair play to them listen fair play to fair them. fucks go on ahead enjoy yourself now i'm gonna let you go and do your thing thank you so much for talking to me chloe an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me this has been so nice i really appreciate it awesome all the best take care mate Ah, that's class. Thank you very much, Chloe Pets. Wonderful stuff and kind of one of those conversations where I thought, oh, you know, when, you, when you're an adult, it's hard to, to sort of make friends. I was chatting to Chloe thinking, I think we could get on quite well. We could be mates. Um, but you can't really, it's, it's weird to do that when you're a grown up. But anyway, happens all the time in the podcast. I mean, often I talk to people that already are mates. Um, but in this case, these are people I'm just meeting for the first time and down the line. Um, so yeah, it was so great to talk to Chloe and talk about comedy and, and think about Daniel Kitson and all those and get some podcast recommendations as well. Now coming up tonight, it's Big Daddy and Baby Helen, which is Rosie Jones and Helen Bauer. They're doing a split bill. Um, they're doing half an hour each of stand-up. So that's that's exciting. It means that we get two for one, really. We're getting two shows for the price of one. And remember, tickets start at just £4, so I'm really looking forward to, to seeing that tonight. It's half past seven and the booking is open till about four o'clock. Um, and there are a limited number of tickets for these things, so get in there while you can. Just go to shedinburgh.com and uh, scroll down till you find Big Daddy and Baby Helen, tonight's act. And then uh, tomorrow, we've got Back of the Head with a Brick by Sean Mahoney. Uh, or is it Mahoney? I'm not sure. I would go for, I mean, being from Ireland originally, our family, we'd say Mahoney. But there you go. Uh, and then uh, Tuesday, the 1st of September, we've got Jack Rook invites you to cheer the fuck up. A comedic memoir meets advice guide about losing his dad at 15. So we've got an amazing lineup, and I'm not going to go through it all. Uh, suffice it to say, the Gary McNair and Steve Coogan interview is coming up. That's at 9.15 on Thursday the 3rd. And then following that on Saturday, the 5th of September, we close out the festival with the mysterious White Rabbit, Red Rabbit, a play that if you haven't seen it, you shouldn't Google because this is a play that Tobias Menzies is going to come and perform for us having never seen it or read it himself. It's a complete mystery to him. The script's in an envelope and he gets handed it as he walks into the shed. There's no director, there's no rehearsal. It's just that moment. That is theatre. So that is on Saturday the 5th of September at 7.30. Tickets are still available at shedinburgh.com and that one is going to sell fast. So it's an exciting time to be alive and thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. Um, I'm hoping it's given a wee bit of extra insight into the, the acts at the festival. And perhaps if you enjoy it, you might want to go back into the archives and hear some of the full-length episodes. There's um, about 150 of them in the archives there. They're all available for you and they're all free. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, you can do it by going to puttingittogethercast.com and clicking on the yellow donate button. That's all from me. Until tomorrow, brand new episode and a new show. Keep clicking on shedinburgh.com, keep buying tickets and keep joining in the fun. Thanks for listening. Cheerio now.